0: There, it's scary parachute sunday december 16th 2018 welcome back to the eye on college basketball podcast i got Matt norlander here with me and it was an interesting although not really upset filled weekend of college basketball number one kansas was pushed by villanova but still wins 74 71 number three tennessee in a single digit game with memphis in the final 10 minutes still wins 102 92 number five michigan Two-point game at the half with Western Michigan. Still wins 70-62. Number seven, Nevada. Down seven at the half to South Dakota State. Comes back, wins 72-68. Number eight, Auburn. Taken to overtime by UAB. Still wins 75-71. Number 15, Ohio State. Down at the half against Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. But still wins 73-71. So that six top 15 teams that were in tough situations against um You know, inferior opponents on Saturday, and all six escaped with victory. So it was a fun Saturday, but the games featuring high-profile teams mostly went the way they were supposed to go, even if they were a little or a lot tougher than they were supposed to be. Norlander, you wrote about Kansas, so let's start here. The top-ranked Jayhawks, uh, they're down 56-55 with 5.09 left inside Allen Fieldhouse to a Villanova team that had already lost to Furman and Penn, but they end up winning. Uh, because they get a combined 57 points and 19 rebounds from Deidre Lawson and LeGerald Vick, my little homies from Memphis. 74-71 a final score. They remain undefeated. But as you pointed out in the column, two of Kansas's nine wins this season are overtime wins. And the Jayhawks have trailed in the second half against New Mexico State and Villanova. So this 9-0 record? could easily be like 6-3 and three or even 5-4. and four. It really is remarkable. But I, I understand Yudoka Izabuki is entered and out, and that is less than ideal. But the fact remains the only reason this team is undefeated and ranked number one as opposed to, say, 5-4 and four and unranked is just a handful of possessions that have gone KU's way. And perhaps that's to the Jayhawks' credit. Like, let's give them credit for closing games well. But either way, it's true that Kansas is not really overwhelming people, even though I think... Uh, Bill Self's Jayhawks are worthy of the number one ranking that they currently possess. Are you concerned about them at all or not really?
1: I'd, I'd have some concern, and I think Kansas fans have, have some concern. It was an entertaining game. Uh, Villanova, credit to them for keeping it close, but maybe that was just as much with Kansas because you're right. Uh, six and three or even five and four is plausible with the games that Kansas has played and the outcomes that they've had. Shout out to uh, ESPN's John Gastaway who pointed out on Twitter shortly after Kansas won... KU is 21 and 3 in games decided by four points or less in its past 24 games. That's a, a remarkable record and a credit to, to Bill Self, but it also is a bit lucky. Like it, it just will not happen. It will not continuously happen. The next 24 games that Kansas has decided by four points or less, I guarantee you it will not be as good as 21 and 3. There will be a regression to that overall, but it's managing to win close here. It gets the win against Villanova. It's a weird number one team. I definitely will not have Kansas. Kansas in my power rankings at number one on, on Thursday. That's different from what you're doing with the top 25 and one. Kansas will hold on to its number rank, one ranking in the polls on Monday, and that's fine. I don't have any issue with that. They're still undefeated, and, and credit to them. But if not for Legerald Vick and Dietrich Lawson, this team would be in severe trouble. And you can say, like, oh, if you take any team's two best players, they'd be in trouble. Yeah, but no one else is really doing anything. Devon Dotson scored a layup, uh, a tough layup, with like 2.25 to go in the game against Villanova. It was the first points by a non-Diedrich Lawson, LeGerald, Vic Jayhawk in the second half entirely. And only uh, Dotson, Vic and Diedrich Lawson scored in the second half. That's not a winning formula, big picture, long term. It's just not. Um, and for as much as like we pointed out that Quentin Grimes like he's just he hasn't gotten it rolling. David McCormick was supposed to be a pretty impactful freshman, and he's not even seeing the floor a ton overall. Charlie Moore's just been okay and has actually been dreadful from three-point range. So it's awesome that Dietrich Lawson is building a Player of the Year campaign, and to a certain extent, so is LaGerald Vic, who's had a few down games, but when he's been awesome, he's been awesome. Like they're both under All-American consideration. I would easily put two, both those guys in the top 20 for consideration at this point, and they're pulling along KU. Um, So, I think there is some concern. Maybe they will eventually get it all clicking, but what I wrapped the column with, Parrish, was is this just going to be what this team is? Like, are we going to look up in a couple of weeks and this is still going to be it? Maybe they'll have lost a game or two or whatever, and it's still just going to be Vic and Diedrich Lawson. Maybe you get Dotson making some plays, but there should be cons- some concern if you're a Kansas fan because you know that you're a relatively weak 9-0 and versus what your ceiling is overall.
0: You mentioned John Gastaway, He's the college basketball writer most likely to tweet a word I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> he's always got these words. I'm like, I don't even I have, I have no idea what that word means. You know what? But
1: uh, strange words are awesome, so I appreciate that. But I, <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate saying. it too. He like, yeah. I
0: think he educates me. He expands my vocabulary because yeah. I'm immediately like uh, interested. I'm like, well, what is that word? Mean? And so I, I, Google it. and I'm like, okay, I, I see, I see why he used that word there. But I, <laughs> I never even heard of that word. It's not only that he uses words I, uh, I don't understand. I mean, or I don't know what the definition is. I never even heard of the word. Like, I didn't even know it was a word. It it seems to me like it's something he just makes up, but it's not. Like, it's always right there in the dictionary as soon as I look it up. So shouts to him. Um, If you want to say Kansas deserves to be the number one team in the country, but isn't playing anywhere close to the level of the best team in the country, I think think both of those sentences can be true. I, I, I think both those sentences probably are true, right?
1: Yeah, they are. They are. At this point, they're just not. Like, if you've looked at the way other teams that are ranked highly have played, and if you've watched all those teams' games. Uh, you know, it's it's a slight against Kansas, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Like Bill Self uh, has admitted this to me and other reporters continuously. Like they just have not hit the kind of level that they should. In fact, in victory they dropped. It's only from two to three in Ken Palm specifically. Uh, being a top three Ken Palm team is a great thing, but uh, Virginia was idle and Duke didn't play either. And Kansas, in a win, slipped from the two to three spot after that close shave call against Villanova. So it is what it is. We'll uh we'll see what happens. They do get a, a tricky one here. Arizona State. Uh, which pulled out a win at Georgia. I thought I was going to call that upset. I didn't call that one, and I really did not call Indiana State. You missed bad on Sunday afternoon. I did. I did. At <laughs> you had the you had the right to call me out at the top of the podcast. But well, we'll wait till about the uh, the seven minute mark here. But I missed that one as well. Um, shout out to West Virginia, which did lose to Rhode Island. So I'm uh, I'm batting 333 there. But regardless, Kansas has Arizona State on the road on Saturday. We'll get to previewing that game later on in the pods this week. But uh, point remains good team a little bit weird we wait and see if this is all going to click soon when as a comes back and if it doesn't then uh, then we'll see where the the chips may fall
0: and it really is wild that they're being led uh, by who is leading them legerald vick and Diedrich lawson both of whom uh, are, are I, they're my little homies from memphis you bill self gets his first national title by beating memphis and he really might get a second with two kids from Memphis. So, uh, I don't know, just an interesting little development uh, there. Uh, Gonzaga uh, lost at North Carolina on Saturday. The final score was one hundred three ninety. So the Zags have now lost two straight. They lose last Sunday to Tennessee on a neutral, then uh, Saturday at North Carolina. Here's my question, Orlando. Let's say Gonzaga closes its non-league schedule with formal wins, then goes like 15-1 and in the West Coast Conference, then goes 3-0 and in the West Coast Conference tournament. That puts them at 31 and 3 mm-hmm. with a win over Duke, but zero additional wins over current top 35 Kimpom teams on selection Sunday. They'd be 1 and 2 against the best 3 teams they played, but still 31 and 3 with a win over Duke. And I know it depends on what else happens around the country, but yes or no, do you believe 31 and 3 with a win over Duke, but a 1 and 2 record against the best 3 teams they play you think that's good enough to get Gonzaga one seed in the NCAA
1: tournament? Uh, hold on. Uh, mostly yes, but we cannot have the situation and discussion in a vacuum because the, what would happen in that scenario is they would likely compete with Nevada for the one seed in the West. And if Nevada only has two losses, then I think Nevada will get it although the WCC is actually rating stronger. It's a fascinating conversation because of this. the WCC is still going to give Gonzaga a lot of... Not a lot. It will give them a good basket full of quad one wins, provided that they win them, Parrish. Like, San Francisco is has been treated well by the net so far. Uh, BYU, I think, is a good team. St. Mary's is quality. Even San Diego is up there, to the point where if Gonzaga wins at San Diego, that could be a borderline quad one win, if not a really good quad two win. So I think that Gonzaga will still be able to bolster its schedule enough if it does that. What I put out on Twitter, I, I was curious... Um, Um, What the general public would say about how often they think Gonzaga will lose the rest of the way. So I just, you know, I dropped a poll and I said over under four and a half losses total for Gonzaga on Selection Sunday. So that takes into account um, a neutral court environment in the WCC tournament. Uh, 77% said under. So putting Gonzaga at three or four losses total. I'm with that. I think Gonzaga is going to lose once the rest of the season. Um, They'll get picked off on the road, either to San Fran, BYU, or St. Mary's. Because if you watch Gonzaga play and you've seen, like, they've given up more than 82 points a game over the past, like, four or five games, and it's the defense is having its issues, I, I, I just think they're going to be a monster once Tilly and Crandall are back. And I don't think they're going to be infallible in the league. I do think they're going to get picked off because I think the WCC is, is certainly up this season. But they've got a great shot at being a one seed. It will not happen, though. I will say this. It won't happen if if Nevada is at two losses or less. I think the 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 overall strength of Nevada's profile on that point would be just enough to knock the Zags to the two line.
0: Well, um, one thing I would say about getting knocked off on the road, and I do think Gonzaga loses one West Coast Conference game somewhere, but that's it. Um, and the the most obvious candidate usually is at St. Mary's. But like, St. Mary's is 7-5 and five right now with two home losses, one to Harvard, one to UC Irvine. They lost late Saturday on a neutral to an LSU team that hasn't been great this season. So St. Mary's is down relative to what St. Mary's usually is. So that might not actually be the place where Gonzaga gets caught. Um, the one thing I would say is that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there is no rule that says you can only get one West Coast team as a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Any more than there's a rule that says you gotta have one West Coast team as a one seed in the NCAA tournament. In other words, if Nevada and Gonzaga both have one seed resumes, they will both
1: get one seeds. Um, you know, yes. regardless
0: of of the fact
1: that there's only one West regional, that's correct, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I would love to see that happen. By the way, if we even had a situation. I think the only way that becomes a borderline lock is if Nevada's at, like, one loss, Gonzaga wins out the rest of the way. Because here's why it's going to be tricky. The way this will shake out is whoever comes out on top in the ACC between Duke, Virginia, and, yes, even North Carolina, going to be in a driver's seat for a one-seed Big 12, particularly if it's Kansas, is going to be in that spot as well. Big 10 will probably have one, if not two teams, in the conversation for that. And then the SEC, if it's Tennessee or Auburn, and hell, you know, I don't think Kentucky's going to do it, but if Kentucky were to uh, turn it all around and, and get really strong, they're just going to compile those wins. I don't. I think we are past the point, again, this is not going to happen, but, like you know, Marquette or St. John's winning all but one or two league games it's just not going to happen the Big East will not have a 1C team in the conversation I just think you'll have the other leagues GP that are going to be encroaching on that situation to the point where we'll just either Nevada or Gonzaga will get squeezed but there's no rule saying it can't happen I think it would be awesome if it happened but I think it's highly unlikely that we actually wind up seeing that
0: I think Gonzaga is going to be a three loss team on selection Sunday and Nevada is going to be a a one-loss team on Selection Sunday, maybe an undefeated team on Selection Sunday. And if that is the case, both of them are going to have real cases to be made um, that they should both be a one seed. And, and perhaps,
1: like, undefeated Nevada might end up being a number one overall seed. Oh, they should be. And uh, let's no, not break my own damn rule. We're not talking about that. I, <laughs> it's not January. I'm not talking about that. But if it did, yes, they, they, they absolutely should be. Uh, The only competition against that is if Duke never lost until Selection Sunday. Duke would have the case over Nevada. I think it would be irrefutable, frankly, at that point. One loss, Duke against Gonzaga on a neutral versus undefeated Nevada. Duke is getting that one seed overall every single time.
0: I would assume that we will have an AC. If if Gonzaga-Nevada seasons unfold the way we both think they're going to unfold, um, I would think we'll have at least one ACC team, at least one Big 12 team, maybe one Big Ten team, maybe one SEC team, and then Nevada-Gonzaga in the conversation for a for number one seed. But I, I it, it's not the craziest thing. Based on what's happened from opening day of this season to now and what we think will happen between now and Selection Sunday, it's not crazy to think that Nevada and Gonzaga could both be uh, – could both be number one seeds. And, you know, as far as Gonzaga, you know, some people are asking, like, well, what's wrong with... Nothing's wrong with them. They They lost on a neutral court to a Tennessee team that is really, really good. That could beat anybody on a neutral court. I mean, they they came into FedEx form, and Memphis is not good this season, but they came into FedEx form, and every time Memphis made a run at them, they just pushed it right back up to 15. Memphis cuts it to eight, right back up to 15. I mean, that team is rock solid. It's not going to beat itself. And so there's no shame losing to Tennessee on a neutral, and obviously there's no shame in losing uh, at North Carolina. I know Gonzaga was ranked number one in the country as recently uh, as a week ago, but they were underdogs at, at North Carolina. They were supposed to lose that game. They weren't supposed to lose it by double digits. Um, but they were supposed to lose that game. I'm not concerned about Gonzaga at all. I think getting through this portion of the non-league schedule that they've played with only two losses, given that their leading returning score, Killian Tilly, hasn't played a minute, uh, I think Mark Fee would have taken that in the preseason. And if that's true, then you'd, you you got to be happy with it now, even if uh, you, you don't like to be on a two-game losing streak.
1: Yeah. Um, real quick on UNC, it's just a mammoth win. Uh, could be, you know, part one of a, a strong two-part victory run here if they can beat Kentucky at the CBO Sports Classic. We'll dive into that, obviously, later in the week as we lead up to that. But UNC is 8-2, fourth in Kenpom because of this win. And if it can beat Kentucky, it's going to have a fairly impressive non-conference run. It's only losses against a mercurial Texas team on a neutral. And then an understandable, if not a blowout loss, uh, kind of exactly what UNC to Gonzaga, Michigan did to UNC in the ACC Big Ten Challenge back on November 28th and lost 84 66 but overall, I think Carolina is looking uh, mighty fine and just okay right now. They are uh, their third overall in offensive efficiency. Kobe White is a stud. Staff told me before the season he was going to be better than anyone thought, and that is totally true, proving to be true. He is super fun to watch play, including that hair, man. I don't get how someone with that kind of, like how you can just have that hair and be that awesome and not think that it's just going like, to create problems on, on the floor for you. But he does it. That, that just All in on Kobe White and that hairstyle and him balling out. He's been terrific. And uh, to me, he's been the most valuable player on that team with Naz Little, Luke May, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams. Seventh Woods even looked awesome. It's all about Kobe White. So Roy Williams is doing just fine for himself so far right now with one big non-conference game still looming this weekend.
0: Yeah, it was just a few weeks ago where Roy said his team stinks <laughs> and he sucks. We didn't believe and,
1: that, yeah, obviously.
0: And yeah. and, 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 uh, and he had the he was doing the worst coaching job of his career. And now they're coming off a win over Gonzaga. They're ranked fourth at Ken Palm. They've got a top three um, offense in terms of offensive efficiency. And just like usual, um, they are dominating on the offensive glass. They are. Um, their, their offensive rebounding percentage is 39.8 And they really did damage to Gonzaga On the offensive uh, boards This is a North Carolina team that, that looks like what we thought it was going to be In the preseason A, a, a legitimate Final Four uh, contender So Indiana won at the buzzer on Saturday We're going to talk about that momentarily But first, here's this So the best ending of the day happened at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Indiana's trailing Butler by double digits in the second half, but the fighting Archie Miller's rally, they tie the game. And then in the final seconds, they've got the ball. They're clearly going to try to do something, you know, under six seconds. They cannot get the ball to Romeo Langford, even though they're trying to get the ball to Romeo Langford. So Rob Fennessy, the freshman point guard, launches a 25-footer at the buzzer. Swish. Indiana wins. Rob Fennessy is the new Christian Watford? That's the first thing I thought about when he made that shot. It reminded me of the Christian Wofford shot against Kentucky back on December 10th, 2011. 2011. That was Kentucky's first loss of the season. They didn't lose again until March 11th. Then they go on, win the national title, finish with a 38-2 record. But uh, the Christian Wofford shot is just as memorable of any shot from that season that that any Kentucky player made.
1: No, yeah. Now you thought Watford, obviously Indiana connection, because of where it happened on the floor and the fact that it was a buzzer beater. I actually thought Talik Brown, UConn, circa '02 Big East tournament, that classic double OT game against Pitt. Anytime someone's hitting like a 34-footer dead straight on at the buzzer, I'm thinking Talik Brown, who uh, who established that shot uh, and goes down in UConn lore. But huge for fantasy. And uh, before we get to Indiana and Butler overall, the post game. Parish, talking to Jamie Erdahl Rob was he was so bizarrely just like chill like hey man what's going on like I just <laughs> yeah I just hit a winner uh, that's the yeah, other she was Jamie was like so is this have you ever hit a, a shot like that before is that the biggest shot of your life He's like yeah so far <laughs> and it was just, I was like, "All right, Rob, feeling it right now." And yeah, broken play. Um, they wanted to get it to Langford. He said that they couldn't do it, and he just hot potato. It's in his hands. Launches, it goes, and and bada bing, they win by three. It's a tie game. So it's it's one of those. us like, "Well, if it doesn't go in, we're going to OT anyway. Might as well just launch and see what happens." And lo and behold, that happens. It is a charmed. Season right now for Indiana, GP. We talked about how Kansas is winning close games. Indiana has given Kansas a run for its money. It's won the last four by an average of 2.0 points. All have been um, one possession games overall. That includes uh, a road win at Penn State, which Penn State uh, has got to be kicking itself because it should have had that. and Indiana did lose a one-possession game earlier in the season. If you, I think we talked about this on the pod, but they lost at Arkansas, and they should have had that game. We, I, I'm almost positive we have talked about that. So I, well, it. they
0: just they we did talk about it because we recorded right after it was over, and I just watched it. And if I remember correctly, they just went too early, and then they fouled like 80 feet from the basket yes. or something. That's yes. what it was. Yeah, they yeah. they had they had a similar deal. They were tied, um, had ball, shot clock off and they went too early, and then Arkansas gets the rebound, and they foul somebody, like, uh, at the uh, opposite free throw line. He comes down, makes a free throw game over. Uh, yeah, with bananas.
1: Yes, indeed. So, uh, Indiana now, is, is, you know, it faces central, uh, home games against Central Arkansas and Jacksonville, should enter Big Ten play at 11-2. and two. You will... Tell Indiana fans at the start of the season, we'll give you 11-2 or you chance it otherwise, or taking taking 11-2 every single time. So uh, big on them. And uh, I'm guessing IU fans really went through something on, on Saturday between watching this and then seeing Tom Green's team in Georgia blow a massive lead against Arizona State. Uh, obviously a good day for the Hoosier faithful and a rough loss for Butler because it should have had this game, and it is now – I don't know if Butler's going to get in the tournament or not, but if they just miss, this is going to be the reason. They'll, they'll have lost other games that maybe they shouldn't have lost, but this is a big-time opponent on a neutral floor that you should have won, and we'll see where Butler is on March 10th. But if it is like their first four, first six out, this is going to be the game because it should have had it. It shouldn't have given it away. It's a, it's a good Butler team. Indiana steals it. That's going to be in the tournament. That group is going to be in the tournament. I'm almost certain of it uh, come March.
0: What Indiana is doing right now is also a reminder for uh, any program in America, and I understand that any program in America is Indiana, but um, it doesn't take long to get this thing right if you recruit the way you're supposed to, uh, to recruit. You know, uh, Indiana went 16 and 15 last season. They were nine and nine in the Big Ten. They were not good, but Archie enrolls a heralded recruiting class, and boom, flips it in year two. Uh, now he's off to a nine and two start. Like you said, that's probably going to be eleven and two. Um, you know, heading into to the restart of of Big Ten play, and so I mean, no secret here. But you know, coaches who talk about it takes you know, it just takes time. It it, it can take time. But it doesn't have to take time. You you take over a program, put your fingerprints on it, and then enroll a recruiting class. Um, yeah, maybe you need a Romeo Langford and a Jawan Morgan to stick around an extra year. But either way, the point's the same. This was a 500-basketball team last season that uh, with one recruiting class is, is able to be in the top 25 now and probably going to take uh, an 11-2 and record into a January 3rd game uh, against Illinois. So it did not take Archie Miller long. Um, to get Indiana basketball back to where Indiana basketball ought to be. Uh, not sure if you noticed, but it was a bad day on Saturday uh, for the Pac-12. Virginia Tech beat Washington by 12. Kentucky beat Utah by 27. Your idol Rick Bird took Belmont to Pauley Pavilion, beats UCLA 74-72. The real Bruins. <laughs> Oklahoma beat USC by 11. And this one really uh, surprised me. Baylor goes into the McKell Center, beats Arizona 58-49. A few weeks ago, uh, some were suggesting that Arizona might be the Pac-12's best team. Now Arizona 7-4 and four with a home loss to a Baylor team that's lost this season to a bad Texas Southern team and a bad Wichita State team and a just-okay Ole Miss team. Kempon projects Baylor right now to finish tied for last in the Big 12, and that team that's projected to finish tied for last in the Big 12 – Just one at Arizona. So that's something. Pac-12 only got three bids to the NCAA tournament last season. You think they're even going to get three this season? Probably Arizona State, probably Oregon. But what else?
1: I think three is the most likely outcome. I, I say that because I feel like there's going to be enough shuffling where a third team is going to fall into that. There have been some, there's, there have been a, a few just brutal Pac 12 uh, seasons over the years. When was it when they had it? I think it was 2011, 2012. I, I don't know why I connect them, but I remember like the year that Kentucky was awesome, the Pac 12 was brutal, and it got two teams in. One of them was Cal. I don't remember the other team that got in. It only—I remember they only got two teams in though, because I was tracking this the whole way. Because that was the season, Parish. I remember this because that was the season where Washington won the league, but it was so terrible out of league, and its wins in league weren't good enough. And I knew that Washington wasn't going to get a bid, and it did not, despite winning the Pac-12. It was one of the worst seasons. Last season was bad. I don't. I
0: think- got. I got you. By the way, it is a Washington finished atop the league with a 14-4 record. It did not get in. Cal was a 12 seed. Colorado was an 11 seed. That's it.
1: Yeah. That, Horrendous year, really one of the worst seasons for a major conference in college basketball ever. Colorado was the other one. Hmm. Um, but Washington, this this season won't be that bad. Uh, but it will be right up against it if there's only two bids, and there that is definitely something that's on the table for now. Every team in this league has at least three losses with the exception of Arizona State. Credit to them. You know what? Bobby Hurley is getting that program really, really moving right now. And the only other team is Colorado, which has a really bad non-conference. So even though the fact that it's eight and one, it's not a good eight and one, relatively speaking. There are many other teams, mid-majors included, uh, of the one-loss variety who have better resumes right now than the Colorado Buffalo. So yeah, the Pac-12 is up against it. And we can stay on the Pac-12 here, Parrish, but just there were results this weekend with the American, which is right there in my opinion. The Pac-12 American, they're a, they're about even, but the American got a lot of wins that it that it needed. Cincinnati couldn't pull it out against Mississippi State, but it still has a good record. Houston remains undefeated with a quality win we previewed on the previous pod. They win against St. Louis. Houston's 10 and 0 in a great spot. UCF 9 and 2 collectively with that resume, it's not amazing, but it's still good enough. It's in a good spot there. Temple gets beats Davidson in overtime to get to 92. It's still – there's enough there where they should be able to have a good case if they can win enough games in the American. And then we've – like UConn, who knows, but they're still – they have a good record, and they've got some, some notable wins. So right now, I think the American has more – to put on the table in terms of let's see what these resumes can do versus the Pac-12, which we did not think, frankly, was possible three weeks ago, but things have gone sideways in a hurry for the big league out west, and uh, it might be uh, a real time for that conference overall to, to have a, a, a long look in the mirror because there was a lot of reporting that was done out west uh, in the past month about just the issues within the league itself and it's particularly with football, but with men's basketball as well, this is this is about hitting a nadir, and obviously there just aren't that many uh, opportunities left for these, these schools to win key non-conference games with conference play two weeks away.
0: As long as we're talking leagues, uh, let's touch on the Big 12. It is, um, once again, uh, the number one rated league at, at Kenpom, and Like I said, the team that's projected right now to finish tied for last, uh, that's Baylor, that they just went to Arizona and won. So how about this? The team that's supposed to be tied with Baylor at the bottom of the Big 12 is Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State already owns a win over LSU, a 23-point win over – I mean, what was it? No, a 13-point win over LSU, and they beat the Memphis team by 20 that just played Tennessee to a 10-point game. And so – Fran Fraschilla from ESPN, our buddy, uh, tweeted the following earlier today. He said he's now seen all 10 Big 12 teams in person, and there is not a bad team in the league. There's there's obviously some good ones, and then there's some that aren't as good as those. But he's like, there's not a bad team in this league. And I think he might be right. You know, if Oklahoma State and Baylor are supposed to be your bad teams, and Baylor's already won at Arizona, and Oklahoma State's already beaten LSU, you— Again, Baylor and Oklahoma State probably not as good as Kansas Texas Tech, but every team in the Big 12 right now is a top 65 Kimpom team and that is going to give everybody in that league an opportunity to add quad one win on top of quad one win on top of quad one win, you're going to be playing um, you know, you're going to be playing games that where wins can help you uh, basically every time you step onto a court.
1: Big 12 is about what I thought it would be in terms of being the best league but not being so separated the way it was last season, the season before, I still think the ACC and even the Big Ten are in the conversation. Uh, once non-conference play fully wraps, we can we can really look at, uh, at who did what here. West Virginia might be the worst team in the league. We'll see. Um, it's between WVU, Baylor, Oklahoma State. I'm not quite sure. But. Um, but it's been huge that TCU's been good, 8-1. and one. Oklahoma, probably the most underrated start, although I know we've given attention on the podcast and I've written about it. Uh, what Oklahoma's been able to do, I think, is, is still cruising under the radar. Uh, but, you know, K-State's been pretty good. Iowa State's been good shorthanded. Steve Prohm's got that thing going plenty fine. And then Kansas and Texas Tech are still undefeated. So, yeah, the Big 12 yet again doing that. Um, Fran loves him some Big 12, so I take his opinion seriously. But he also, when you happen to be someone who sees a certain league more than other leagues, you're going to be inclined to that opinion. He's mostly right, but I think he's also just a little bit uh, colored in that regard. Um, Baylor winning at Arizona was really, you know, in in the cloak of darkness. A lot of people aren't going to have picked up on that. By the way, like they had like a 51-19 rebound advantage, and rebound margin can be a super phony stat. But when you're doing that, like there was a player on Baylor. I gotta look this up. There was a player on Baylor who alone got more rebounds than all of Arizona's team. It was uh, Mark Vital. He had 17. I think Arizona had 16 total rebounds. It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. So um, good on on um, Baylor getting that win because they've got a really weird resume overall. And yeah, Big 12 strong again and going to have at least 6 and probably 7 potentially 8 bids in the tournament but I would land on I think I'd land on 6 at this point.
0: Who was the who's the Baylor, Baylor Baylor player who had the great rebounding quote in the NCAA tournament a few years ago? Uh, the tort was it Torian Prince?
1: No. Uh no no no, it was um how does Yale out-rebound? Yeah, you know, you're right. It, is, it was Torian Prince. That's right. How does, how does Yale out-rebound <laughs> Baylor? Which is gave us one of the top ten ever, ever press conference moments at an NCAA tournament, and there are good ones almost every single year. But the amount of disgust after defeat in Torian Prince's voice to that reporter who deserved that kind of answer, uh, it, 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 to me is as classic as Bryce Drew winning it for Valpo in 1998. That was just an all-time moment.
0: You know, he says, uh, how, how does Yale
1: out-rebound Baylor
0: <laughs> without uh, taking into consideration that Yale was actually a better rebounding team than Baylor all season? And so <laughs> Torian Prince is like, and I don't remember it word for he word. He basically like,
1: defines what a rebound is. <laughs>
0: yeah, so the ball comes off the rim, and then uh, you grab it with two hands, and you come down with it, and that's a rebound, and they did that more often than we did that. It was just terrific. <laughs> because it was such a stupid question and he answered it so brilliantly and his tone yes. his words were perfect. Yes. The tone was perfect. Everything was about about it was perfect. Last thing on the Big Twelve. Uh, you casually did mention T C U, which is eight and one, coming off a twenty point victory Sunday afternoon mm. over your Indiana State sycamores.
1: Man. You know, Indiana State was rocking the, the Larry Bird throwbacks as well. And T C U wanted Nothing to do with that. One by 20 wasn't even close. I, I thought the best three point shooting team in America with a great backcourt and Jordan Barnes and Tyreek Key, well, they combined for 20 points and Key only had three. And from three point range, Indiana State regressed to the mean harshly. I mean, we're talking got the bends. Three of 16 from deep. And yes, TCU. Quality team, going to be in the tournament with ease, 8-1, and one, gets a good win, a simple win at home, and it is now also defeated, SMU on the road, uh, had no issues with USC overall, TCU actually has a lot of comfortable wins, and um, I, I'm, I'll be interested to see what they do once we get in league play, it's a quality team, but I want to see them play a little bit better competition, but they've had a solid resume so far, and uh, we'll see what happens, and this is, what, year three, I think, under Jamie Dixon, which... It feels like it's been longer, but this is only the third season he's been there.
0: Um, it's just like I've been saying for a while, and people underestimated this around the country.
1: Indiana State misses Jake Odom more than people realize. I, I you know what? You're right. And it was I was foolish to think otherwise. Um I, I'm gonna carry this regret into with me into Christmas and potentially into January. So um thank you for setting me straight.
0: Shouts to Jake Odom. Before we get out of here, um, I wanted to touch on something uh, that I thought was interesting. Kentucky honored its 1993 Final Four team that was coached by Rick Pitino on Saturday at Rupp Arena's 25th uh, 25th reunion. Um, obviously and predictably, uh, Rick Pitino was not there. Uh, mostly because it's unclear how UK fans would treat him. Or maybe it's crystal clear how UK fans would treat him, and so that's why he doesn't show up. But Patino did tweet about the reunion, like said, hey, congratulations to the 93 team. And in that tweet, he said, thanks, Cal, for reaching out. It was appreciated. And so it was pretty clear that, that Cal had at least texted, called something, uh, Rick Patino to see if he wanted to come to this game. And so Cal was asked about it afterward, and here's what he said. He said, quote, I just told Rick, look, you need to get up here. This will be respectful here. What he did to change this program back to what it ought to be, we should recognize that. The fans may be mad because he coached at Louisville, but so what? When he was here, when we needed this program on a different track, he put it on that track. End quote. And then Calipari later added, What Rick did here, like I said, he deserves to get the respect from Kentucky fans. And I think our fans would be great. He might not think that, but I'm convinced that if Rick came back, the fans would be great to him. Uh, End quote. Uh, Simply put, I I just thought it was super cool. A super cool thing for John Calipari to do. Um, It would be very easy for John or anybody else to kick Rick right now because Rick's down right now. You know, the way he exited the sport, it, it eats him up to this day. Um, he's basically disappeared. And this is a Hall of Famer. Um, so for Cal to, to either call or text and invite him back to Kentucky, and for Cal to then very publicly tell his fans, Kentucky fans, uh, they should respect and honor the man who rebuilt Kentucky basketball when it was in a real bad place, regardless of whether he subsequently coached a rival at Louisville, Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was kind. And and I I thought it was uh, the right thing to do. And, um, you know, just as it relates to how fans should treat coaches who provide them with some of the best times in their program history, um, I I think John's spot on. I've always believed that, you know, uh, LSU fans should be appreciative of what Nick Saban did, regardless of whether he coaches Alabama now. I've always thought Memphis fans should be appreciative of what John Calipari did, even though he left him for Kentucky. And I've always thought Kentucky fans should be appreciative of Rick Pitino, even if he left him for the Boston Celtics. And then when he bounced back to college, um, took a job at a rival Because the Louisville job might not be the Kentucky job, but it's still a top 10 job in the sport. And what's he supposed to do? Like he wants to come back to college basketball. He's supposed to not take best job available because it happens to be the rival of a place he used to work. I mean that's nonsense. It's not the way anybody else looks at their own career, and I don't understand why anybody would expect Rick Pitino to look at his career that way. So I, I do think that Kentucky fans should honor and respect Rick Pitino. And I thought that it was a, uh, I thought it was cool that John went out and, and said that in a very public way.
1: I mean, it was it was great. Now it, it just uh, it douses the flames of the Cal Patino man to man rivalry, which definitely existed. But I think in recent years has really simmered. And obviously to get to this point uh, has, has downright cooled. Um, So from a human to human thing, that's great. But also like, we like rivalries. It's okay for people to hate each other in college sports. In fact, it makes college sports a lot better. And uh, and I wouldn't have been opposed to the, the if, if it had continued to such um, because I think pettiness sometimes can give us great media fodder, fan fodder, and, and good entertainment. That's not the case here. By the way, Kentucky fans, I think some will uh, accept Rick back. I think a lot never will. Um, I do think that we will get to a point where – Patino, in some way, is on the court being honored uh, for some sort of occasion in Lexington. I think that will happen. I don't think it'll happen next year. It might not happen two, three years from now. But he's actually in the spot where he's not coaching. And I should qualify by saying so long as he isn't coaching, because to have this, it needs to happen in season. And that would require Patino not having obligations with another program. And so as long as that's the case, I think that's now the window is open for this to happen. Um, It was cool of Cal to do it. And obviously they were both cool with with letting it leak out publicly. Um, More than leak, they're the ones who put it out there. So uh, I think Kentucky fans... Some of them would like to see it. I I think it's intriguingly bizarre theater, and um, a shame that it couldn't happen here. But there will be other opportunities, particularly 2021, uh, the 25 year anniversary of my favorite college basketball team of all time, the 95-96 Wildcats. Um, you know, maybe that's going to be when it happens. Maybe things will have thawed enough overall, and Patina will be comfortable enough. But uh, but we'll see. You got a thought on that? Because I got to wrap up before we wrap up. I got to ask you some, one other thing. But I wanted to. Uh,
0: Yeah, just, you know, you said that, um, you know, that John and Rick had an intense rivalry, and it it seems to have softened, and I I think it softens because one guy's not coaching anymore, Mm -hmm. right? He's not coaching at all, and especially not coaching down the street. But I also... Uh, you know, first let me say this. I got a couple of tweets today because I tweeted about this late last night, and uh, you know, I, I've got Memphis fans telling me that they'll always ha- hate John Calipari, and I've got Kentucky fans telling me they'll ha- always hate Rick Pitino, and that's fine. I mean, ultimately, I can't tell you how to feel because I can't make you feel how I want you to feel. That's what she said, mm-hmm. but I, I will just say that, uh, you know, Rick Pitino left Kentucky only for an opportunity that almost anybody in his shoes would have left for. You know, a a bazillion dollars to run the Boston Celtics and coach the Boston Celtics. Like, almost anybody's leaving for that. So you could say he's a bad guy because he left or a bad guy because when he came back to college, he took a job at Louisville. But almost anybody in Rick's shoes would have left Kentucky when Rick left Kentucky and for what Rick left Kentucky for. And almost anybody in Rick's shoes, if they were coming back to college basketball and were offered the Louisville job, they would have taken the Louisville job. I don't know why that's hard for people to understand. And same thing for John Calipari. You know, John didn't leave Memphis for South Carolina or Arkansas or whatever, Missouri. He left Memphis for Kentucky, which is something, again, almost any human on the planet would do. Um, Memphis is a good basketball job, Kentucky's a different level altogether. So I don't know how you could be, um, you know, unforgiving of him. Taking the the Kentucky job, and I know there, there's a Memphis fan listening right now who will say, "Yeah, but it's not just it's not that he left; it's the way he left. He took the whole recruiting. Well, he was going to take the whole recruiting class, no matter whether he took him to Kentucky or anywhere else. John Wall and Demarcus Cousins and Xavier Henry and all these guys they were only coming to Memphis for John Calipari. Period. If John would have been coaching. Uh, Southern Miss at the time. They all went to Southern Miss. I mean, that was a John Calipari thing, not a Memphis thing. And so I've always thought Memphis fans should be appreciative of John Calipari. Here's the truth. He's the best coach you've ever had, probably will be the best coach you ever get. And he, he had the best four-year run in school history that will probably never be matched. And so um, th- there's that, uh, period, new paragraph. I had a, a, a some people on Twitter. You know, say, hey, you know, everybody says these guys hate each other. But, like, is this the type of thing, you know, somebody does if, if they hate another person? And I will just say that, listen, I've known John for a long time. I've known Rick for a long time. They did not like each other. I'm sure on some level they still don't like each other. But I think also as you get older, um, and John's a big believer in karma. And I think as you get older, you you do soften a little bit, and you can probably realize that, Whatever pettiness you carried around isn't worth carrying around anymore, especially when you won. You know, while you were at Kentucky and he was at Louisville, you got the better of him more often than not. Then, you know, everybody's calling you the dirtiest guy in college basketball. And yet it was him that got ran out of college basketball for running a program that was operating outside of the rule book. You're making eight million dollars a year. You're still. You know, if not the biggest, among the biggest things in the sport, you're in the Hall of Fame. You've got your national championship. Um, Like, what is the point of carrying around pettiness anymore? And while this guy is down, uh, given that you could be this guy someday, again, just in theory, like, I I do think that softens you to a point where you go, maybe I can do a good thing. You know, and it, it'll make me be viewed in a different light. But also, like what, like what's wrong with doing a good thing? I mean, John's a complex guy. He just is. I, I've always said about him: the best things you've ever heard about John Calipari are true, and probably the worst things you've ever heard about John Calipari are also true. Like he's a complex guy. He's 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 not a black and white issue. He's a he's very much a a gray area person. Um, but he does. I, I've seen it with my own eyes. Him really be gracious and kind to people who can really offer him nothing. And I think in his current form, Rick Patino can't really offer John Calipari anything, and yet John Calipari can maybe offer him something. And that's a chance to, to, to come back into a place that he once ruled and be appreciated by the fans. And there's no way that could ever happen without John talking to the Kentucky fans in a very public way like he did last night by telling them how they should feel because I can't tell Kentucky fans how to feel, but John Calipari might have the power to do so. And so um, d- don't ever let anybody trick you into thinking that was an intense rivalry rooted in hatred, um, uh, you know, to some degree. But I think John sees where Rick is right now and, and has probably softened a little bit and, and probably feels like the right thing to do is to, to do the right thing. And um I'm not surprised that he would go this path, even if those two guys have been sideways for for much of the past few decades.
1: Well, that's a sincere, sincere little uh, soliloquy monologue from you. I appreciate that, and uh, you make a lot of good points there. But um, listen, someone pooped on the floor of FedEx Forum. Okay? <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't I'm not me. saying it was you. I'm reading the report here. This is what we're wrapping up with. This is what's happening in Gary Parrish's a hometown of Memphis. Credit to WREG Local Television for the report. Headline is Man defecates on FedEx Forum hallway floor during sold-out game. Uh surely to go down. <laughs> surely to go down, pun intended, in Tigers lore. While the Memphis Tigers basketball team took on the number three Tennessee Volunteers a man at the sold-out FedEx Forum took care of his number two business and was subsequently arrested. A security guard was making her way from a stairwell and saw the man, later identified as 46-year-old Royce Thomas Lodeholtz, squatting behind a concession stand. She went over to Lodholtz and found that he had his pants off, his body exposing himself to several people walking nearby and was defecating on the floor. The security guard called for her partner, who saw the same thing. Uh, lodos was told police officers that uh, the people in the restrooms were taking too long to clear out, so he quote had to do what he had to do end quote according to a police affidavit, and he was taken in on a charge of indecent exposure. What the hell is going on in your city at your arena?
0: I'll tell you what's going on. Um, that that if nothing else is is evidence. That Penny Hardaway is already doing the job he was hired to do.
1: He was not hired to do this job. Not this. He uh, Let me explain. Penny Hardaway
0: um, was hired to replace Tubby Smith for many reasons, but largely because uh, season ticket sales dropped to 4,115 last year. It was a modern era low, and attendance in the building was at a 48-year low.
1: I feel like you've said this before.
0: And when, when when Penny Hardaway was hired, the idea behind it was he can immediately increase season ticket sales. He can immediately increase donations, and he'll be able to get people back into that building and make it look the way it ought to look. And Saturday inside FedEx Forum, it was just the first sellout, first sellout that Memphis has had for a game since March 7, 2009, which was John Calipari's Last regular season home game as the as the Memphis coach, so last year, year before, really in the final year under Josh Pajester, you never had to wait in a line in a bathroom. You could take a Duke whenever you wanted to take a Duke. There was nobody in the building. The stalls were already o- always open. But Penny Hardaway, before Christmas of his first season as the Tigers' coach, puts more than eighteen thousand pe- people in FedEx Forum. And now fans are having to take craps in behind concession stands in the plaza level because you can't get into the bathroom because the place is too jam packed. All help, Penny Hardaway. He's filling the building to a capacity so
1: much so that you got a duke behind a dipping dot stand. You got guys releasing the hostages in the concourse. What's going <laughs> on? This is. Yeah. <laughs> the hiring Penny Hardaway increased the probability of having larger crowds which apparently increases the probability that you're going to have someone stinking up the joint listen uh, memphis l- lost i won't say valiantly tennessee looked terrific but this is uh, this is uh this is borderline college football crazy so i couldn't let the podcast get out of here before we um we talked about <laughs> just uh a hilariously stinky scene that that emanated out of Memphis over the weekend, and I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna set the over under at 1.5 more craps at FedEx Forum uh, in the public concourses before season's end.
0: That should be Memphis's slogan going forward. Let's fill up FedEx Forum for the Wichita State game. Let's make it where you might have to crap behind a Dippin' Dot stand.
1: Hold on. Do you know? Are you are you adding some? Additional reporting, like did do you know if it was the dip and Dot stand or, or, or if it was a, a different kind of a particular vendor?
0: I just know that you know they have normal concession stands like built into the arena, you know, like like concession stands are throughout FedEx Forum, but then there are various little portable, movable. Uh, Concession stands And I know that that is one of the ones That the guy was taking a duke behind And the one that pops into my head Because I just bought Dippin' Dots for my kid At the Memphis-South Dakota State game uh, A few weeks ago Um, The one that pops into my head is Dippin' Dots Plus I think it's just kind of funny to think of a 47-year-old man taking a duke behind a dip and dot stand. All right,
1: we're going to wrap with this. I Listen, this could be a colloquialism, but I, I've i heard it called a deuce. I've never heard anyone refer to that as taking a duke. Did you say taking a duke? Taking a duke. You've never heard taking a duke? I'm sure it's a thing. I just have never heard it. And in fact, I'd be interested to see how, how many of our listeners – a deuce, yes. A number two, deuce, the whole thing. But um, – I yeah you know, Dookie D- yeah but like sp- That's it I think Duke is just short for Dookie. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean Dookie obviously but uh, yeah um That's okay. like
0: you know you know when those like nerds on Twitter like who hate Duke for whatever reason and they call him D O O K. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're calling okay. Duke crap.
1: There we go. That's that uh, okay. they th- they th- they
0: think that's funny. <laughs> the people who do that. They don't realize <laughs> that's not funny to anybody other than themselves.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here.
0: Let's make sure FedEx form is filled to the rafters for this Cincinnati game, so much so that a man might have to take a duke behind a Dippin' Dot stand. That's what Memphis just, – just put that in like a radio ad. Jesus. You, do I have to do everybody's work? Put that, Make that a promotion. Oh, man. All right, I'm done. Do the shouts. Can, can you imagine walking to a Dippin' Dot stand with your, like, eight-year-old daughter, and there's a 47-year-old man – just b- bent over, pants pants off, and he's just doo
1: dooing. Just there's a soft serve joke that I refuse to go to right now. But yeah,
0: dance to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Antigo, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple podcast if you haven't done it already. If you have done it already, thank you. You're making a real difference. Every time I kick on the uh, click on the college and high school podcast. Uh, department, we're like right up there, number one. We rank number one, just like the Kansas Jayhawks. But I do think we're playing more consistently at a high level right now than the Kansas Jayhawks. So if you've already subscribed, uh, thank you for doing that. If you haven't, please—it only takes a few seconds. Go subscribe, rate it favorably, five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. So go do that, and then we're gonna talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then. Take